Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. These are strange and difficult times in our global history. In addition to the health crisis, we are also now clearly experiencing an economic crisis with COVID-19. Chiropractic practices across the world have been forced to close. In Australia, chiropractic, as a part of allied health, is considered an essential service. And as such, we are encouraged to continue to practice provided we can do so safely. This, of course, means adhering to the strict hygiene, social distance and screening protocols that I'm sure all our listeners will be familiar with. Even though we are permitted to still practice, most practices have experienced and are likely to continue to experience a significant downturn in business. The Australian state governments have been quick to respond and have released a number of financial stimulus initiatives aimed at keeping the economy viable during the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, it is important for us as chiropractors to get our heads around these initiatives, and I have an expert with me today who will help us do just that. Now, it goes without saying, that, um, but I'm going to say it anyway, that the information we are providing you today is of general advice only. And of course, we strongly recommend that you have these conversations with your accountant or financial advisor so your unique financial position can be considered. Now, our guest today is Jane Fenner. She is a business advisory director at Nexia Australia, a mid-tier chartered accounting firm with representative offices in most Australian major cities. Nexia Australia offers a comprehensive range of services in the areas of audit assurance, business advisory, corporate advisory, superannuation solutions, and taxation consulting, delivering a bespoke and personalized service to their clients. Importantly, Nexia are also the auditors for the ACA. Now, Jane herself has been with the firm for 16 years and possesses a well-rounded skill set with a strong tax and compliance background, specializing in small business grants and initiatives and also business systems implementations. Hi, Jane, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me. It's all moving really, really fast. It's, it seems like uh, it was only a few days ago that we were hearing about uh, JobKeeper and, and now that legislation has passed. Uh, out of all the initiatives, I think this is probably the one that um, is the most relevant to, to chiropractors at this particular point in time. Can you please just give us a bit of an overview over what the JobKeeper initiative is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So this particular incentive, when it was announced a couple of weeks ago, Definitely um, seemed like it was going to be a bit of a lifeline to businesses. It was very generous in the scheme of what had been offered already. Essentially, uh, eligible businesses that elect to participate can get a $1,500 per fortnight payment per eligible employee to support the people that they've employed as at the 1st of March who are retained in employment. So... Essentially, to be eligible for this, the business um, has to have had a turnover of less than a billion dollars, and they have to estimate that their GST turnover has fallen or will likely to fall by 30% or more. 
This is available to full-time or part-time employees and also casual employees that have been with the business for 12 months or more as at the 1st of March, 2020. So I know there's a, a, and obviously most people will be aware of the broad brush um, for JobKeeper. I'm just wondering, we're going to try and dive into a few more, um, uh, I guess, nitty gritty questions around this. It starts, um, I think it is from the 30th of March, I recall, but uh, employers do not receive payments until May. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So from what we understand at the moment and the interpretations of what the government has released is continually changing. Uh, the fact sheet keeps getting updated and the Q&A also keeps getting updated and they're adding more and more information to it as we go. Uh, but essentially, um, it is available, the payment is available to be backdated to the 30th of March and it should be available up to the 27th of September. However, as you mentioned, um, the first payment is not likely to come through until the beginning of May. So that means that an employer has to be able to fund that employee's payroll um, for the first four weeks before the payment is likely to come through from the government as it's paid in arrears. I see. So, so just working on the who qualifies first. So uh, obviously it's um, in the, back pay, the, the group um, that chiropractors will fit in is those who, who have businesses who are likely to experience 30% less drop-off. Now, that's over a, measured over a one-month period. Can that be measured in different months? Does it, does it have to be the month of ma March or is it the month of April or is it any sort of four-week spot from, from X to Y? So, Anthony, this is a really, really good question and it's something that we are sort of scratching our heads about as well. Uh, the, once it was legislated last week, although they updated the fact sheet, they didn't actually give a lot of, uh, I guess, comfort to us in relation to how you would measure the turnover drop-off. Uh, because we obviously have businesses that are structured differently. Some business may have, may have started last year for the first time, so now they're scaling up. Um, so it's really hard for them to demonstrate that 30% drop-off in yes. revenue. So um, what, what we're basically saying is you just need to get all your ducks in a row. In terms of the period that is going to be assessed, they're saying it's for a month or for a quarter um, compared to the same period in the prior year. So um, I would be getting my paperwork together to try and demonstrate not only the revenue for the month of March, but also forecasted revenue for the next couple of months through to June as well. And trying to use um, a larger period than just the month as well, if, if you think that that's necessary. Yes. The program itself or the initiative itself runs for six months. Does that mean you have to demonstrate continued downturn or once you've um, shown that your business has been affected by more than a drop of more than 30%, you automatically get those payments for the next six months? Our understanding is that once you can demonstrate that drop in turnover once, it should be eligible for that six month period. However, um, we have heard some feedback in industry in regards to this uh, and the um, integrity rules that they're going to be introducing uh, might change that moving forward. Okay. Now, in terms of sort of breaking it down between full-time, part-time, casual, let's talk first of all about uh, someone who perhaps um, has their own company and is an employee of their own company. Do they qualify for, um, uh, for JobKeeper? 
Yeah, they would. Um, and even if they weren't an employee and they were receiving dividends, the fact sheet was expanded over the weekend to include shareholders. You can only nominate one, share, one key shareholder of a business or a beneficiary of, say, a trust to receive the payment. Right. And let's move now to the part-time one. This is one I'm a bit confused about. What if you have a part-timer that works, uh, say, say just a few hours a week, uh, whose normal earnings would be less than 1500 a fortnight? Um, how does JobKeeper work for, for that individual? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. And uh, it's not like any other incentives that we've seen that have been pushed out across the, the, the world, I guess. Uh, so for those uh, people that are getting paid, say, say for example, $1,200 a fortnight, they are actually going to be receiving a $300 top up on that payment. So the minimum that an employer has to pay that employee is $1,500 per fortnight. So we do actually have some clients who have employees that will be effectively getting a pay rise out of this incentive. And I'm assuming that pay rise obviously goes away, well, assuming that their hours drop afterwards. And the, that was the first question. The second question there is, do you pay super on top of that? So what we understand at the moment is that the $1,500, um, if, if that person was due to receive $1,200, then super would still be required to be paid on the $1,200. However, if they've been topped up to $1,500, then there's no super requirement on that $300 top up. Right. Okay. So uh, another question, and, and I guess it goes along that line as well, is that um, a lot of businesses are going to be cash strapped at the moment and they might decide, okay, well, I'd, um, I'm going to be, I've got an employee now that I'm, uh, I'm going to be paying them $1,500 a month uh, based on the government or a, a, every fortnight rather based on the government's grant, um, but I can't afford to actually pay them right now. Can you pay them in arrears? How, how, how does that work? No, unfortunately not. So in order, the ATO basically said in order to receive the payment for the full period, so backdated to the 30th of March, you need to have been paying those employees on the basis that you are eligible and you will be receiving it uh, right. for the four weeks through till the date that you receive the first payment, which is obviously uh, uh, quite hard for businesses that are feeling the pinch in terms of cash. So the ATO's response to that was basically you need to find some short-term funding. Uh, there's some banks. You should be knocking, knocking, knocking the door down of your bank and trying to get some short-term funding there. There are banks that are offering some kind of um, packages, particularly for these kinds of businesses. So I would just be shopping around and, um, yeah, doing, doing what you can to get through the four weeks before that first payment comes in. And do you have to pay the $1,500? What if you were paying something, like if they were working fewer hours, you were paying them $1,000 over a fortnight, would you get $1,000 from the government in, in May? No, it's a flat $1,500 payment. So, so it has to be $1,500. Before you have to top that person up to $1,500. Yes, that's good to have clarified. So we understand that uh, the casual worker needs to be working for at least 12 months with a business to qualify. What are some of the other um, rules as far as who's in and who's out with casual workers? Uh, in regards to casual workers, um, unfortunately, they haven't given a lot more guidance. Uh, and for some of our clients, um, it, 
they've unfortunately had to tell some of their casual employees that they won't be able to get the benefit of this particular incentive because that 12 months uh, requirement is a pretty much a hard rule at this point in time. There was a lot of criticism from the Labor Party and um, uh, the media about the fact that casual employees, the nature of their work means that, you know, they are stopping and starting and they might, might not have met that 12-month rule. But unfortunately, at this point in time, uh, the, the criteria is that they need to have been with the business for 12 months to receive it. Right. Okay. So, um, moving on, I want to talk about the, the, the person who may have been made uh, redundant or is now uh, no longer gainfully employed. And of course, that's where we uh, go from uh, job keeper to job seeker. Can you tell us a little bit about um, that initiative? Yes. So the job seeker payment was one of the first to be introduced by the government. Uh, and essentially this is for uh, people that have well, those casual employees and, and others that haven't been able to get access to the job keeper through their business. So if uh, you've approached your employer, if you have been laid, laid off or, or your hours have been reduced and you've approached your employer and they're not willing to sort of re-engage with you, then this job seeker payment is available. And it's essentially um, an expanded benefit uh, that was originally in place uh, from the government via Services New South Wales or Centrelink and um, it's similar to the unemployment benefit uh, or the youth allowance for example and it's eligible for sole traders, self-employed, casual workers and contract workers and what the government have announced is if you are eligible to receive one of those payments you'll automatically get what they're calling the job seeker supplement of $550 a fortnight. So Essentially, if you do qualify um, for the original or, or base level job seeker payment, say you're a single uh, with no children, I think the entitlement is about $565, uh, then you'll get that additional $550 per fortnight from the government, which should take the annual, uh, sorry, not the annual, the fortnightly payment to just over $1,000 per fortnight. So it's not as lucrative as the job keeper payment but it still is available and it's it's definitely better than uh, just the base level that would have been paid under normal circumstances and that's also something that just runs for six months is it the job seeker yes uh it is it runs for the same period uh and we're unsure at this particular point in time whether the government will be revisiting any of these schemes uh, but at the moment it's for that six month period as well Okay, another one is um, ways in which uh, to, to boost cash flow for employers. And of course, the, the, the tax fee, fee um, boost that you can get uh, through uh, credits on your activity statements. Can you um, go through that uh, with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So this particular incentive, it was actually the, one of the first ones to be introduced in the original stimulus one and two announcements. Uh, so this is for... Uh, businesses that held an ABN on the 12th of March and had aggregated annual turnover under 50 million uh, and made eligible payments that you're required to withhold from. And that's the critical criteria uh, there. And that is basically you're paying people wages and you're withholding from those. So um, it can be director's fees as well. 
or contractor payments where you're withholding amounts and then paying that to the ATO. That's essentially how they're going to assess whether you're going to be eligible or not. The amount that you'll receive is a minimum of 20,000 and a maximum of 100,000. And it's essentially paid out on lodgement of your business activity statements. So really important to be timely with those compliance lodgements still. So for example, if you lodge on a quarterly basis, as soon as you lodge your March 2020 activity statement, the ATO will look at the amount that you have withhold, withheld from your employees in that period and they'll pay that to you as, as I guess, a refund of pay-as-you-go withholding. So you would so still, we, sorry, just to interrupt us for a second, just thinking um, the, an employer would still pay their normal PAYG uh, with their um, BAS statement, but then get that credit back. Um, is that the way it works? We are actually telling our clients where we know for certain that they are eligible for this, uh, just to withhold that pay-as-you-go withholding component from right. the payment that you make to the ATO. Yep. And if for some reason that pay-as-you-go withholding amount puts you into a GST refund situation, then you'll receive that amount back as cash in the bank. Uh, the way it's going to get paid out is say you are entitled to the maximum 100000 then once you lodge your quarter three BAS, say you're due 30000 back, you'll get that once you lodge your quarter three BAS. When you lodge your quarter four BAS, which is the June BAS, you'll get the residual $20,000. So that's basically saying you're getting the $50,000 for the first half of the year. Then what they're doing is paying out the same amount. So $50,000 again will be paid out to you in the second half of the year. So when you lodge your your June and September business activity statements. Gotcha. Just to clarify, so what? It's a minimum of twenty thousand. What if your uh, POYG for those two um, best statements is would be less than twenty thousand? Is that an extra bonus that you would get? It sure is. Okay. You get the twenty thousand, which is okay. which is good news for particularly those smaller employers where you might might not might only have one or two people in the books. The minimum that you'll get if you're eligible for this is twenty thousand. Fantastic. Now, um, I won't, can't imagine that a lot of people will be um, keen just at the moment to be purchasing assets, but for those that, um, that are, there is some relief there as well? Yes. So this particular incentive has been around for quite a while. Uh, it was originally brought in to stimulate investment into the economy, and I guess they need that more than ever. So they have now increase the threshold from 30,000 to 150,000 for uh, assets. So if a business is required to buy a large asset or replace a a large asset now, even though cash could be tight, now is potentially the time to do so because you'll receive that as immediate write-off. Well, that's yeah, that's that's certainly a big, uh, but uh, probably a lot of chiropractors just at the moment won't qualify for that. But um, if you're going to spend the money, there's something else. Now, something that will be of interest to people certainly is the um, sort of rent and tenancy assistance. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so National Cabinet released the mandatory code of conduct for commercial leases last week. Uh, and what we're reading from the code um, is that Uh, it will be mandatory where a tenant was eligible to receive the JobKeeper payment and has an annual turnover of less than 50 million. So 
this one really hinges on on being able to show that decline in turnover as well. Yeah. Um, for to and to get that job keeper payment. So. Uh, the way it's written is it's basically saying landlords are not allowed to terminate leases. And we did see that moratorium on, on evictions as yep. well that was introduced. Tenants need to remain committed to the lease terms once it's been renegotiated. And what they're saying is that landlords must offer proportionate reductions in rent payable. And it has to be offered in the form of waivers and deferrals based on the reduction in the tenant's turnover. So, um, for example, and actually, sorry, just to clarify that as well, it says once you've agreed what the total reduction in rent is going to be, at least 50% of that must be a waiver and the balance must be a deferral. So just to give you an example, if a tenant suffers a loss of 60% in turnover, then during the pandemic period, uh, they, they should receive a 60% reduction in rent. Right. And um, a minimum of half of this must be in the form of a rent waiver. Uh, and um, the, the, the balance must be done in the form of a deferral. So this is really, really good news for tenants. I believe some landlords out there are definitely going to be hurting by this, but that yes. is why it's really, really important for landlords to be speaking to their bank and trying to negotiate some better payment terms or um, deferrals where possible there. Now, speaking of the banks, obviously they're getting on board as well, but from what I understand, um, what they're offering is more just deferments rather than uh, than wavering the uh, interest payments on loans. Yeah, that's correct. So the majority are only offering deferrals. I know ANZ is doing up to six months. Uh, my understanding is that CBA is doing an automatic deferral for April through to June and then you need to opt in for the following three months. I know some banks are um, giving interest rate relief as well. Uh, and, and then the other benefit that is available out there is that the government is offering to guarantee those $250,000 in unsecured new loan funds as well. So um, that could be something to look at as well if there's a restructure required. So we've spoken mostly about the Australian government um, initiatives and also the banks just there, but uh, it doesn't stop there. There are um, several other state-based initiatives and uh, private companies are also, um, you know, negotiating with their customers as well. Correct. Yeah. Um, I, I'm from New South Wales myself. So I know that we have put, or there's been some announcements in relation to payroll tax. So payroll tax um, waivers and deferrals have been introduced. Also, a lot of state-based taxes um, have been removed as well. And I know um, from a New South Wales perspective, they were just ready to announce a um, residential rent relief package as well, which includes some deferral or waivers of land tax as well. But every state is different. So, um, yeah, very, very important to just be looking, um, searching your state government websites, uh, speaking to local advisors and working out what you can get here as well. So I guess the uh, for everyone out there, it's a matter of that conversation with the accountant or if you're not happy with your accountant to contact Next Year Australia and I'm sure they can uh, advise you as to what's the, the most appropriate way to maximise your benefit from uh, these, you know, what are fairly generous uh, initiatives I think that the, the government and others are putting forward. 
Absolutely. Uh, for those that are interested, we've actually set up a supports and impacts page on our website and it has contributions from all of our firms across Australia. So it does have some good tips in there as well for um, local advice and state-based advice as well. So um, feel free to jump onto www.nexia.com.au and um, have a look at that page. If you have any other questions, feel free to reach out to any of, any of the advisors that are on that page as well. Fantastic, Jane. And there's also, in addition to uh, Nexia, of course, um, the ACA website has a COVID portal in there and there's a um, particular section on, on business and finance with all the uh, links to various uh, programs. But at the very least, uh, for those that uh, qualify, register with the ATO with, um, uh, with JobKeeper. Um, register with Centrelink if you've unfortunately been stood down with, uh, for, for JobSeeker and contact Nexia Australia if you need further advice. Jane, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, you've cleared up a lot of confusion, although uh, there's obviously a few more I's and T's that individuals will, will need to, uh, to dot uh, along the way. Uh, well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope uh, this podcast has been uh, helpful for you and uh, look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. Mm -hmm.